0: Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Vanceville Road in 84 Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So glad that you're here with us today. Our call to worship this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. As a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit. A hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? Bless you. So he said the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. But the seed in the good ground, ah uh, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, Hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. This is the word of the Lord. One thing that 20 plus years of marriage has taught me is this. Ladies do not like to see whiskers in the sink. Now there's a lot of other things I've learned too, but whiskers in the sink. I don't know what it is exactly about those whiskers in the sink, but they do not like it. And guys, it doesn't matter if you clean up most of those little whiskers. Any that remain will almost certainly be brought up in the next unpleasant conversation. Uh, Whiskers in the sink and the thing about the toilet seat. Uh, Two things I've learned in 20 plus years of marriage. So here's the weird thing about my interaction with whiskers in the sink. Because I know that it displeases my wife to see those whiskers in the sink, you would think that I would have gotten very, very good at spotting those offending little beasties and removing them from the basin, right? You would think. You would think that my whisker detector would be a highly tuned, extremely sensitive instrument. It would alert me to the presence of even one stray whisker, however minuscule it might be, except that's not how it is. Instead of becoming an expert at spotting whiskers, oh, I've instead become adept at not seeing them. It's a type of blindness that I have unconsciously developed against the offending hair clippings. Later, when my wife calls me out, and and I will say she's been very gracious, and she hasn't called me out on this in a long time, though I'm sure she could have. But when she does call me out on my whisker messes, I will sincerely protest that I have indeed carefully cleaned up the sink. I didn't leave any mess at all. Indeed, I had cleaned up. That wasn't a lie. But somehow, somehow when she leads me back to the scene of the crime, now I can suddenly see all of the whiskers that simply were not there 10 minutes ago when I cleaned up after shaving. I know they weren't there. And yet, there they are, whiskers in the sink. They were there all along. I simply couldn't see them. I had been blind to that which I didn't want to see. You know, I think each one of us has blind spots in our lives, don't we? Blind spots that we just can't see. Sometimes it takes someone else to point out certain things in certain areas, and if we're humble about it, we can then at last admit that it was there all the time. We just couldn't see it. Like a car in the passing lane that is perfectly hidden in that blind spot of our vehicle, we continue on blissfully unaware of the lurking danger within our own character until either someone graciously points it out or a disastrous mess impacts our life. In the 2001 Disney Pixar movie Monsters, Inc. And if you want to open up your bulletins, you'll find some pictures inside there. Monsters, Inc. James P. Sullivan is a big, hairy, and friendly albeit scary monster living in Monstropolis, which is in a parallel dimension. He works at an industrial facility called Monsters Incorporated. Monsters Inc. is a utility provider that generates all of the electrical power for the city by harvesting the screams of scared little children in our world. The monsters themselves Most of them are not mean, cruel, or bad-intentioned. No, they're simply doing their jobs and living their lives. The monsters who work for Monsters, Inc. consider children to be highly toxic occupational hazards. And so, following strict safety protocols, the monsters creep into children's bedrooms through their closets, and scare them in the middle of the night. The screams that the children let out produce tremendous amounts of electrical power for the benefit of the monster world. You see how it works now. James Sullivan, known to his friends as Solly, is a likable, friendly, hardworking fellow who just happens to be the top scarer at Monsters, Inc. Now, through a series of accidents, Solly comes into contact with a cute little toddler named Boo. Boo, who you see pictured there, the little girl, far from being afraid of the large, hairy blue monster that was assigned to her closet, instead simply adores him, and the two become very good friends. But there is this one scene in the movie when Boo accidentally sees video footage of her beloved friend, Sully, who has been recorded by the company for training purposes. You can see a couple pictures there of Solly as he's snarling, and growling in this training footage. And, and Boo recoils in terror from the images of Solly as he appears on the video, snarling, growling. He's a menacing, terrorizing monster. Sully is initially confused at why Boo cowers from him in fear, and then he turns to see an entire wall of video monitors that display freeze-frame images of his face, his fangs, his claws in this video footage as he's in the process of scaring and terrorizing in that moment, Sully sees himself in a new light. He sees himself as he's never seen himself before. And he's shaken to his core. He is wrecked by what he sees. But it becomes the catalyst for change. Change. Change that will transform not only himself, but eventually all of Monsters Incorporated and the entire monster world. You know, sometimes I wonder, what if we could see ourselves, really see ourselves in every situation in our daily lives at any moment from an outside perspective, looking down, looking in? What if we could see ourselves going through our day as others see us? Not like when we look at ourselves in the mirror. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we present ourselves with the best possible version of ourselves, don't we? Primping, preening, tilting our head just right, getting the best angle, lifting our jawline just so, arching our eyebrows just enough. No, not like that not the mirror image that we present to ourselves, not that image that we vainly present to ourselves, but rather as the images we consistently present to others. What if we could see the self that others see? As if we were the star in a movie of our life and the camera captured perfectly every emotion, every shade of nuanced expression that runs across our faces, every contortion of anger or display of selfishness. What if we saw all of that? What if we didn't look at life through these windows of the soul, but instead saw every second of our day played out on a movie screen, watching ourselves in the third person? Would we like what we saw? Would it wreck us? Or better, even yet, would it change us? Turning your Bible to James chapter one. James chapter one, verse 19. James 1:19. James says, "My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror for he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it that means continues on in it and is not a forgetful hearer but instead a doer who works this person will be blessed in what he does. This is the word of the Lord. James begins with some practical proverbs. He leads in with some very practical advice for us. In essence, he says, maybe you've heard this before. God gave you two ears and only one mouth for a reason. Have you ever heard that one? James says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. God gave you two ears and only one mouth for a reason. He wants you to listen more than you talk. This is something that preachers have to especially keep in mind. And he also reminds us of the pitfall that is there for us in the form of anger. Anger is a pitfall for every single one of us. Anger. It's a tool that is simply too powerful for you and I to use safely and responsibly. Giving anger the green light in your life? It's like handing a circular saw to a three-year-old and plugging it in. Now, who would do something like that? Is there anything wrong with circular saws? No. Is there anything wrong with being three years old? No. Nothing at all. But the two don't go together. It's irresponsible to hand a tool that powerful and that dangerous to a three-year-old. And so it is with us in anger. We cannot safely and responsibly use that tool of anger. That's why the Bible tells us to put anger aside. God can use it. He can use anger. But we can't. And don't, don't deceive yourselves by thinking that you can Proverbs 17, 27 through 28 says, The one who has knowledge restrains his words, and one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent. Even a fool is thought to be discerning when he seals his lips. Every one of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, Slow to getting angry. Human anger simply doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. If you want to see God's righteousness at work and operating in your life, you're simply going to have to give anger the red light and stop it in its tracks. Don't rationalize about righteous indignation or any other excuses that will end up being just that. Excuses excuses for you to give the go-ahead to what you want to do, namely, expressing your anger. It just doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. Well, it makes me feel a whole lot better. Does it? Really? How do you feel about yourself after you've given full vent to your anger in front of others? But... Just for sake of argument, let's suppose that it did. Let's suppose that it does make you feel better. So what? Is that more important than submitting your will to the Father's will by trusting Him to do what's right instead of taking that tool out of His hands and trying to wield it yourself? In other words, don't you think that there might be some things that are, in fact, more important than how you feel and what you want. When I was a kid, my father almost always put in a rather large garden or two. Of course, my services were expected and required. I can remember it was a lot of work putting in a garden and caring for it throughout the entire growing season, and then came time for the harvest. Gardens are work, 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 and they are rewarding work if you get the rain and the sun at the right times. The work begins by preparing the ground for planting. The ground first has to be cleared of any overgrowth, then it has to be broken up plow and disc and tiller, large clods of earth gradually broken down into smaller and finer particles. And along the way, stones turn up. And what do you do with those? Well, you rake them out. You gather them up. You pick them out. You throw them off to the side. You get those stones. You get those rocks out of your garden. The gardener wants to give his seed the best possible soil to sprout and take root in. Eliminate any competition from undesirable plants like weeds, briars, brambles. Prepare for future success by proactively removing any obstacles to growth and fruitfulness. So James talks about proactive preparation. He talks about taking the same approach in our lives that the gardener takes in preparing his vegetable patch. Proactive preparation. We are to proactively prepare the ground of our lives. Prepare for what? Prepare to receive the implanted word. That is the gospel. The good news that God intends to remake you from the inside out through the power of his spirit because of the work that Christ Jesus has done in removing the hostility that was between us and God. He took that right out of the way. There's no reason why you can't come to God through Jesus Christ. He removed every obstacle. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ lives. Jesus Christ is at work today ruling and reigning over his church, ruling and reigning over the nations of the world, seated at his Father's right hand, Jesus is at work today. That's the good news. God intends to remove your sins from you. How does that sound to you? Listen, I didn't say that he intends to remove merely the penalty of your sins from you. Oh, of course He's done that. That's that's what the cross was all about. Jesus paid the price for our sins. But Jesus didn't die to remove the penalty of your sins and leave you in your sins. Jesus died and rose to remove your sins from you and to lift you out of your sins. He intends to radically change you from the inside out, from the ground up. Imagine For a moment if you will. There's a country that has suffered severe famine. Because of a mysterious blight. That has left the soil ruined. For any growing of any fruitful crops. Now weeds and briars and brambles. They grow in abundance. But any good crops that produce food. Simply won't grow in this blighted soil. And the people starve. Because the ground will not produce anything good to eat. And then. One day, word comes that in a faraway land, a brilliant scientist at great personal expense has succeeded in producing a seed that is not only resistant to the blight, but once it takes root, it can actually reverse the power of the blight in any soil in which it takes root. It will not only successfully grow, but it will renew the soil in which it grows. And now you hear that all of these wonder seeds will be sent across the sea to this land that is suffering from this blight. The first shipment of seeds is scheduled to arrive in two weeks time. Some people are skeptical and they plainly state that they will not place their hopes in this fairy tale. Others are prideful. They say that they don't need any help from outsiders who don't live here. They and their countrymen can solve their own problems just fine. Thank you very much. But others, others in jubilant anticipation of the seed's arrival, head out into their overgrown, weed-ridden, bramble patches of a field, and they begin to clear the land. They pull out the briars and brambles, and they burn them. They turn the soil, they rake out the stones, they plow and till and make the ground good to receive this transformational seed. They want to give it the best opportunity to sprout, take root, and transform their futures from bleak misery to hopeful abundance. The seed is the word of God, and it will transform the life of the one Who humbly receives it and allows it to sprout, take root, and transform their life? But why will some of you insist on setting the table against the success of this good news, this gospel of grace? Why is it that you will not remove the weeds, the briars? The brambles, the stones, why will you insist on holding on to old sins? Why do you excuse them as being features of your personality instead of digging up the ground, turning over the soil of your heart and preparing a place for God's word to sink deep into your heart, put down deep anchoring roots and grow up into a fruitful crop of righteousness? Humbly receive the good news of what God in Christ has done for you and respond appropriately by clearing the land of your life so that you might grow up in him to be fruitful plants, trees of righteousness that bring forth good fruit. James says there has to be some preparation. Be proactive. Give God's word a chance. Give it the opportunity to take root in your life. You're going to have to turn over some soil. You're going to have to clear some ground. You have to pick out some weeds and remove some stones. Hearing God's word and not allowing yourself to be changed by it. It's like looking in a mirror and then walking away without combing your hair, washing your face, or picking that piece of green stuff out from between your front teeth. You see it's there, and then you just walk away, and you do nothing about it. James says you're just deceiving yourself. Just deceiving yourself. What is needed, James says, is not only perceiving, seeing yourself in the mirror, but also persevering, keeping on, being changed by what you've seen. The word of God is the mirror that we see ourselves in. And when we look into God's word, when we look into this mirror, we see ourselves as we truly are because we see ourselves in the light of who God is. Who God is, his perfect character, his righteousness. We see ourselves in that light. The mirror of God's word confronts us with the image of our own sin and our own sinfulness. But what will we do with that? Will we turn away and deceive ourselves with soothing delusions like, well, I'm not as bad as other people are? Will we say that? Will we soothe ourselves with the delusion that God makes exceptions for individuals who are wired the way I am? Or that our own personal pet sins aren't really that serious a matter after all? How serious does God take sin anyway? Any sin? Well, he takes it as a serious enough business that he saw his own son nailed to a tree in order that it might be dealt with once and for all. Pretty serious. But maybe he winks at my little peccadilloes because this is just how I am, right? Right? And hey, I do go to church. I, I make sure to listen to some preachers I like, and I try to read my Bible, so... Nah. James won't let us off at any of those stops. God won't either. James 1.25 says, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. To look into the law of freedom, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and continue on unchanged by it, it's just self-delusion. You're deceiving yourselves. Look into the mirror of God's word. Perceive yourself as you are in the light of who God is. Perceive yourself as God intends you to be in Christ Jesus and allow this to change your life. Persevere, Continue on in Christ Jesus and be transformed. And then, and only then, will you be blessed in what you do. Listen, here's the thing I want you to take away with you when you walk out of here today. You simply must allow the word of God to not only speak to you, but also to change you. You're here today. Thank God, praise God, you're here sitting in that seat and you're hearing God's word. I commend you for taking the time out of your week to do that, but it's simply not enough. Hear God's word and act on it. It's simply no good to go on with making excuses for yourself. Well, it's just how I am. Or I'm just the type of person that, you know, fill in the blank. If those sort of things ever need to be said, let them be said by others who are extending charitable forgiveness and understanding toward us. But let us never say such things about ourselves. Let us never make excuses, even if it's only to ourselves that we make them. Let us not give ourselves any excuse for not walking in step with God's Spirit. Let us not give ourselves any pass For not allowing our lives to be radically changed. Radically means at the very root. Let's not give ourselves a pass for not allowing our lives to be radically changed by the living God who speaks to us through this, his living word. Have the wisdom, James says, have the wisdom to be quiet and listen to what God's Word says without trying to twist it around to allow for it to say something that you want to hear. Clear the land of your life. James says, make preparations in your heart. Clear the land. Some of you, even at this station of life that you're in, you still need to turn over some ground. You still need to break up some clods and pull out some weeds and burn some briar patches and allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to take root and transform you. Even if it's just transforming some little corner of your heart that up to this point has been left unchanged. Some of you may have fairly decent garden patches at this point in your life. Praise God that you do. But there remain little pockets, little corners of cherished behaviors that you afford for yourself as weedy little indulgences. And you think that God winks, that it's not that big of a deal, that he understands how you are. Dig it up. (laughs) Do you dig? Dig it up. He intends to remove your sins from You, not merely the penalty that your sins are due. Be doers of God's word, not hearers only. Bible study groups are good and they are necessary. But you know, there is definitely a danger of always learning, learning and never doing. We must hear God's word and act on it. Be willing to make changes in your life in order to bring it into line with what God's word says. Hear and do. So what about that mirror? What about the blind spots? How? In other words, how can I see what I'm blind to? How can I see what I can't see? A couple ideas for you, very practical. First, if you have a spouse or a loved one, a brother or sister in Christ that you can rely upon, to speak the truth to you in love, and I'll emphasize that, in love, that means they're doing it for your benefit and not for your detriment. Ask them to speak that truth to you in love. Have the courage to ask them to talk to you and tell you plainly what they see in you that does not align with the character of God and with the character of Christ revealed in God's Word. Ask them to point it out to you. The things that you yourself cannot see. This is important. Don't be hurt or upset when they point out something to you that you don't agree with. Remember, we are looking for blind spots. Don't argue and fight with them. If you ask them, don't be shocked and hurt if they do exactly what, what you've asked them to do. Instead, hear them. Bite your tongue. Knock down your sensitivity and your pride and inwardly forgive them for doing exactly what you just asked them to do. And then ask them a few questions to try to better understand before thanking them and reaffirming your love for them. Because they may be a little bit nervous about doing what you're asking them to do. But maybe you don't have someone who knows you that well. Someone who sees you on a regular basis. Maybe you don't have someone that you can rely on to speak the truth to you in love. That is for your benefit, not your detriment. What then? Well, this is where I will direct you to the other step which I want every one of us to do. And that is simply listen to God's Word. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. Spend time with the Lord in His Word. Ask Him to show you where you are not walking in step with His Spirit, where you are not carefully cultivating the character of Christ Jesus, where it is that you've allowed little pockets of old, self-centered character to continue growing like a jungle in your garden, a jungle that you've either chosen to ignore, excuse, or secretly nourish. The Lord, I believe, will make it plain to you because... Remember His purpose. He intends to remove your sins from you. So if you ask Him humbly and sincerely, He will show you. Read and pray. Hear and do. Listen and act. You simply must allow the Word of God to not only speak to you, but also to change you. Hear God's Word. And act on it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. In the light of it, we see you as you are. And if we're humble enough, we see ourselves in that light as we are. In all of our sin and our sinfulness and self-centeredness. Father, we pray that the mirror of your word would show us clearly the areas of our heart that continue to grow like overrun jungles. Help us to humbly clear that land of our heart, to turn over that soil, to remove the stones and the weeds, and to humbly receive your word, which is able to save our souls. And then having received it, Father, may we continue in it by being not merely those who have heard your word, but indeed those who have been changed by it, those who continue in it, those whose lives have been transformed as we become doers of your word and not self-deceived hearers only. Father, we ask that your spirit would do this work in us, that we might produce good fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. James called it the implanted word. That seed of the gospel which brings life, it will save your souls and it will change your life if you will allow it to take root. James says we might have to turn over some ground, clear some land, pull out some weeds, burn some briars, remove some stones. Give that seed of God's word every opportunity to take root in your life and be changed by it. Ask the Lord to show you where You still have jungles growing in your garden patch. He'll show you. And by His grace, He'll change you. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.